Hello and welcome to the Green Pole Podcast. Today we'll be talking about the 2-1 defeat to Arsenal yesterday at the Emirates. And I'm joined again by the fabulous duo Max Cohen and Frankie P. Taylor. How are you doing, Max? Doing all right. You know, just chatting before we went live here saying we really felt like we should have got something out of this match. But, you know, we'll, we'll save the, the full recap for later. I have to say, great performance. That's the bottom line. We went to the best team in the league and we made them essentially work for this three points when they're time wasting at the end of the match. If that's what we can do to the team top of the league, then I think we'll be fine this season. Frankie, how are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, Max has hit the nail on the head. Just a, a little disappointed, but, you know, overall fine. It's a football game at the end of the day, isn't it? But I woke up today, I'm still alive, I'm breathing. So, you know, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> <laughs> right, before we um we get into the podcast, uh, we, you know, we do try and keep things light. We keep things fun. That's just how we try and do things here. But uh, one thing I want to touch on is yesterday I was at the game um, and our very own Dan Crawford, um, I have got his permission to speak about this, um, was a victim of verbal abuse from, I'm not going to call him a fan because I don't, I think that's too polite for him. Um, critic, well, he was being discriminative against Dan Crawford because he has a disability. Um, and I think it's completely wrong. Uh, you know, you shouldn't go to a football match and get, receive verbal abuse of any nature, whether that's through your disability, through your skin colour, through your gender, through your religious beliefs. Football is a time where you can go and you can just forget everything for 90 minutes with your friends, your family, have a good time, have a bit of banter with, with friends, with opposition fans, and just enjoy yourself and just, you know, just release any built-up energy, anger you have throughout the week. Football is a time where you come together and, you know, you just enjoy yourself. Dan Crawford went to a match yesterday. He does have a disability. He has cerebral palsy. I think everyone listening to this podcast will know Dan and know what such a fantastic character he is, a fantastic gentleman he is. Um, Wouldn't harm anyone. And to receive that, I think it's disgusting. And, you know, he deserves better. And as human beings... You know, if if you're going to a football game to abuse someone, you need to have a serious, long, hard look at yourself in the mirror and ask what are you doing with your life? Because it's just completely unacceptable and disgusting. Right, let's get into it. More on a positive note, Alexander Mitrovic yesterday scores his 100th goal for the club and becomes the eighth Fulham player to reach the three figures alongside Tom Kearney making his 250th club appearance. Tell us a bit about the goal, Max, and what were you feeling when the goal went in? I mean, this is, I think, Alexander Mitrovic at his very best. He never gives up. He never gives up a lost cause. And he just harassed Gabriel. He knew in the back of his head he was going to get that ball when no one in the ground, I think, or watching, thought he had any chance. It was just such a mundane, you know, passing along the back four. But Mitrovic never gave up. And I think the most impressive part here, actually, is just the way he positions his body to get the ball in the tackle in the first place. The finish is really nice as well, but I mean, just the way he puts his leg, puts his hip, swivels it, and it's actually very smooth in the end. There's no, most situations like this, the ref likes to flag for a foul and the center back goes down, but he couldn't even do it because Mitrovic was so deft and actually so intelligent with it. And, you know, just to finish the slot at past Ramsdale was amazing. 
I mean, I lost my mind. I was absolutely over the moon because for the first, you know, essentially 50 minutes of the match, we didn't really have an attacking sniff at all. You know, we had a couple chances, but we were nowhere near getting the lead. And then to have the lead after just kind of sitting back and absorbing pressure, it was amazing. And I was thinking, all right, this is Liverpool Pat, Liverpool match all over again. We can take the lead. We're going to show one of the, one of the big boys that we're full of, and we're not here just just to make up the numbers, but we can get the three points. Honestly, the elation when that goal went in, the I think the, the limbs they call it was <laughs> was special yesterday. <laughs> uh, Frankie, tell us about the goal. Uh, yeah, I mean, Max describes it perfectly. It's it's Mitrovic at, at his very best, an absolute workhorse. And he gets a lot of stick, I think. Just, I think it's lazy journalism from his youth, really, that he's this big hothead unit who can only do it in the championship. But from what we've seen at Fulham, he's been good as gold. And that was him fighting for every minute. It, a lot of people would have been forgiven for thinking, oh, that's not that's not a position to press. There's no need to press them, press them there, but he, he goes for it just through sheer hard work and saw the opportunity and grasped it. And yeah, it was like a, it was almost like a sense of euphoria when he scored because the game didn't feel like it was going Fulham's way at all. Really. The only very rarely in the Arsenal half. So to be able to nick one like that was, uh, it is, it's that moment of bloody hell. We're actually, uh, we're actually, got a potential of getting something from this game um so yeah I, I think it was it was the whole I can't even I couldn't even tell you what time it went in about the hour mark um yeah, 55th minute I think it was oh uh, yeah so it was 55 minutes of us soaking up pressure with the odd counter-attack and uh and we were the ones that took the lead and I wouldn't have seen that coming at any point I thought Arsenal were excellent on possession in, and it felt like uh it felt like when we got the ball, we'd have to take it all the way back to Craven Cottage. We were that far away from the, <laughs> we were that far away from the opposition goal. It, it felt mammoth. To, it, yeah, it was a mammoth task to get the ball up the other end of the pitch. So to take the lead, it was quite euphoric. Yeah. See, when we was in the ground, you know, we ne- I never really felt like we were in too much trouble. I think Leno made one good save from Saka in the first half, but other than that, yes, we were defending areas and making last-ditch tackles. But there wasn't really a time when I thought, you know, we're, we're in big trouble here. Um, and obviously, when that goal goes in, Mitrovic comes over to the corner. And I didn't actually pick this up on the camera because I've seen the goal back. Um, it, obviously, the players come over, they jump, they celebrate. But as the players are walking back, Mitrovic stays by the corner flag for another 10 seconds by himself. And he sort of cups his ears, <clears throat> uh, points at the badge, kisses the badge, and then just enjoys the, soaks up the atmosphere for about another two or three seconds, which I thought was a, a touch of class. But just how lucky are we to have someone like Mitrovic Jens? Matt, I'll start with you. Oh, Pranky, yeah, please. Yeah, sorry, I'll just jump in. I mean, a <laughs> hundred goals. I think the last one was Gordon Davies, who last played for the club in 91. Um, so he, he's a modern legend for a generation of Fulham fans. And I don't quite know how how he's a Fulham player sometimes because I, I do think he can play top six European football. Uh, but there's a connection there that you don't often get with players. Like players really do come and go, but there's the odd there's the odd one that just has a mutual feeling with the fan, and it's 
we love you. We love this club. And we can tell that you do and you love this club as well. And he seems a very unique person in that he has that almost bigger picture of, of, of football and family and everything that makes football a great sport. Alexander Mitrovic embodies that. Max, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a great point. And I think I, I want to bring up that he could have left numerous times over his career at Fulham to play Champions League, Europa League football anywhere across the continent. And he was actually, you know, as it was reported, very close to leaving following the summer of 2021, you know, when he got relegated. And Parker had, you know, reduced him to just a shadow of his former self. And I think that's what's special about Micho is that he chose to stay, even at his darkest moment at Fulham, even when, you know, he'd only scored three goals in the league. And we, he was such a different player in that season than he is now. And that's just, it's all about confidence as a striker. But as Frankie said, he saw the bigger picture. Yes, he might leave for one season to go to a bigger club and maybe play Champions League football. But would he really be at home? And I think that's the key thing. He knows Fulham is his home. It stretches all the way back to Slavisa, but it's more than Slavisa. I think the initial connection was over the Serbian shared heritage. But now I think he truly loves Fulham. He sees it as his home. His family settled here. And I mean, what a servant to the club he is. So credit to Mitro. The goals he scored over the past you know, four or five seasons have been some of the best goals I've ever seen. And more than that, I think he's just, he's a special, special human being. The way, the, the aggression he brings to every single match, the passion he plays with, you don't see that every day. Um, so just, just delighted to have him at the club. And hopefully, you know, we'll stay up this year and he can actually build a Premier League career to be proud of. Yeah, and, and sort of, you know, throw the, uh, he can't do it in the Prem rubbish in the bin. Um, and it's already he, in the bin. It's already yeah, in the bin, Alan. <laughs> it, it, it is from our point of view, but you're always going to get some, some, someone trying to criticise him. And, you know, it's just... He, you know, I, I'd happily rename the Riverside stand after him. He's that good. You know, I've always thought Saha was the best striker I've seen down the cottage. But Mitrovic is just, he's just something else. And the love and the commitment he shows on a weekly basis. Yeah, he's probably the best striker I've seen play for us. Phenomenal character. Right. The, the equaliser, which was extremely frustrating. Uh, Frankie. Tell us about that goal because it's it's extremely unlucky, but you see those goals more often than not go in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's unfortunate for Leno, who I think showed yesterday why why we chased him and why I guess Marek Rodak wasn't given the opportunity to to be our starting goalkeeper. Is that there's another level to this game, and I thought Leno was excellent throughout. Um, make it was just assured that at the back there just making save after save and sort of the dark arts have taken a little bit of time. And I know at the end it didn't really matter, but I think he did a great job marshalling that back to um, the back four um, and just keeping everything steady whenever he did get that chance in the ball, because it was, it was hard for us to get possession. I think it was 70 odd percent possession to Arsenal. So I think he did a really good job in just giving that, giving us that little breather at times, letting the clock click tick down, keeping the game going and, of course, it wasn't. Um, it didn't lead to any points yesterday, but I think over the course of the season, just that experience and know-how will do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate to concede a goal in that manner. I think. Um, I think had we managed to hold out for another, maybe ten ten minutes, like got to the seventy-five minute mark, and it was still one 0 Fulham, I'd have backed us to go on and get the point. 
um, or three points at that point. I think they'd have started forcing things a little bit more. They'd start getting a little bit stressed with the clock ticking down. Um, but it, yeah, it was very frustrating. I think it comes off of is it tossy, and I think he turns away a little bit, so the block just gets a. It's just not enough of a block on it, and Leno's wrong footed. So uh, it, it was disappointing. It was a bit like oh, that's how we, that's how we're going to let them back into this one. Max, want to add yeah, anything that, to that? That was my reaction exactly. Like I was like, oh, that's that's how we're going to concede because mm-hmm. you know after after the goal in the fifty fifth minute, I mean they had they definitely had the possession in our you know attacking third, but it wasn't at all like they were laying siege to our goal. It, it, it wasn't a period of sustained pressure that had me thinking. You know, we're we're really in for a tough half a final half an hour. You know, we were actually quite comfortable, I thought. So it was weird to let it go like that. And you know, it it was frustrating to see. I think the midfielder just kind of back off Odegaard. It seems he kind of had a free reign right up until the edge of the eighteen when he took that shot, and it was very unlucky with the deflection. But I I I would have liked to see more pressure on Odegaard um, to to prevent that shot because it seems like he really just had all the time in the in the world, and a player like him. You can't get in time and space around the area. Yeah. And he was he was probably Arsenal's best player yesterday as well. Um, for, again, another one that's just a phenomenal player and a phenomenal addition to the Premier League. Um, now, we have to talk about the second goal. Um, I'm going to start on this. When Ma was in the ground, uh, the goal went in, they, they celebrated and the players were crowding around the ref. We saw one highlight on the big screen and I didn't really see much of it because the angle they showed us was from behind the goal. So you've seen Leno try and come and get the ball. He's missed it. The ball's fallen. Gabriel's knocked it in. Um, but when I got home yesterday, I actually saw the picture of the ball coming off. I think it was Saliba's elbow. Um, yeah. Frankie, Mick, you start with this. What is the rule on handball? Because my interpretation <laughs> is... It's come off his his elbow, which is below the shirt line, and it's fallen directly to Gabriel, and he's put it in. Now, to me, that's you know a deliberate. It's not a deliberate handball, but it's come off the the arm, which then led to a, a goal scoring opportunity. Should that have been disallowed? And are you as frustrated as me? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it kind of it carries on with the first goal. It was just such a disappointing one to to give away. Yeah, it comes off of uh, Saliba's left arm, falls to Gabriel, and it's just like, come on, guys! <laughs> like there wasn't too much in the way of clear cut chances for Arsenal, but we concede two of the most unfortunate goals you'll see in a game like that. Where really on other days neither of them happen. But in terms of I mean, VAR checked, so they were suspicious of something, but the VAR feed never showed that angle, at least to the to the viewer or Sky or whoever controls the cameras, didn't show to the viewer that angle from, I guess, the Arsenal end, where you can see uh, Leno's front, his chest, where you get that really clear angle of it touching Saliba on the arm. So I don't know whether VAR didn't have either access to those angles or they didn't look or they just tried to rush the decision a little bit because it, yeah, I'm of the point of if it hits your arm, it, it's, it, it's a foul play. Like it's, it's hit him in the elbow. It's not, it's not like his hat. It, uh, it's not like his uh, shoulder or whatever. Um, Cause I think it was someone, I can't even recall. I'm going to have to watch the game again because I think it was a Bobby Deck or Dover Reed shot. 
And it might be Ben White or someone like that is making one of those slide tackles to block it. Yes. But it hits him in in the arm area. And I'm thinking, is Val going to have a look at that? Yeah. They've, they've showed the replay. Like, it's clearly hit an arm. He's slid. His arm is away from his body. And it and it's hit the arm. It's, Val didn't even have a look. So I'm not quite sure what... I don't know the rules of football anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely don't. I have no I have no clue what, what the law is. Um but yeah, it's disappointing again to lose that lose that way when yeah, that should be in my book uh, a foul play and a free kick to Fulham. Max, can you shed any light on the handball rule? Because I think we're we're both struggling here. <laughs> the only thing I have to add is that remember last time we were in the Prem and Lamina had the handball which led to the I mean the magical against Tottenham right mm-hmm. and then after that they changed it wasn't there some situation where they changed it and it was right after we'd been hard done by and then it was like if it's an unintentional handball leading to a goal it stands do you guys know what i'm talking about Does yeah they did they changed the law i think it was the day after that yeah let me let go against tottenham i think it was um, so maybe that's playing into this that it was that's the situation where if it hits off an elbow but unintentional leading up to a goal and, and it's the attacking team they don't flag it, but I honestly don't know either because it's a mystery. And the big mystery, as Frankie said, was why did VAR or anyone not see that angle, which clearly showed hit off his elbow? That was just bizarre. It's just the inconsistency which drives me mad. And yes, you know, we're sitting here today and we've it's a goal that's cost us a point, you know, but we could be sitting here in three months' time. Well, maybe not three months' time because it's the World Cup, but <laughs> we could be sitting here at some time this season and something like that goes our way. Yeah. But I, I, I do think on another day with another ref, another some someone else sitting in the VAR room may have changed it. Um, but I do think if it was us and we scored that goal, I think there was more chance of it being overturned than the fact that it's a big six club. I don't, know, I don't, I, I don't want to sound bitter, but... It, it, it did certainly feel that way at times. I think I think the uh, Jao Polinia booking was laughable because the referee was going to continue. Uh, it was a it was a bog standard, like a bit of a cynical foul on the halfway line, but nothing was going to come of it. And then Gabriel Jesus uh, pipes up, and they both get booked. And I don't know whether Paulinia was getting booked for Jesus getting like into Paulinia's face and giving him a push or stuff, or had the ref just suddenly decided to change his mind and book him. Like it was a bit laughable. I don't quite know what the referee was seeing at points. Um, he, he definitely seemed to get manipulated by by maybe the crowd or or where he was because I know Marco Silva was not happy at all. Um, and I think he did. Marco got uh, got a yellow card at some point late in the game. I think it was when um, might have been got- t- sorry. It was a. Uh, I think it might have been Jesus or something in the late on into the game on the cameras near touchline. I think it's Mitrovic and someone else uh, corralling him. It might have been Mbabu or someone like that. I can't. I really should have watched the highlights before um, <laughs> before coming on, but. Um, yeah, they, and they take the ball off him cleanly and go on to counter-attack. And obviously the ref blows the foul. And I think Marco Silva went a bit mental and got a yellow card from it. But yeah, it was laughable refereeing at times yesterday. Yeah, the refereeing yesterday certainly didn't help help things. I thought the ref had a terrible game. He was definitely influenced by the crowd at certain points, especially in that second half. Um, yeah, the ref was poor. Um, so... 
I think we touched on this last week about Silva having options on the bench. Now, we're sitting here a week later. No one's walked through the door. We've not signed anyone. Tony Khan's still promoting wrestling events. Um, <laughs> first question I'm going to ask you both, um, I'll start with you, Max, is if Silva doesn't get what he wants by next Thursday, will he walk? Can you see him walking? No, no, I, I don't see any situation in which Marcus Silva leaves the club on his own mission. I, I just cannot see that because what he's done with his, let's be honest, bare bones, threadbare squad is a miracle. And I don't think any manager would want to give up on that. Um, so I don't, I don't see him walking, no. But I think, yeah, I'll sh- I'm sure we'll get into this later in this conversation, but it, it, it is actually shocking where we are now in, in the last week of August the lack of attacking options or honestly any options that we have coming off the bench because in a different world, we could actually get a point out of this match if we can turn to the bench and actually bring off an attacker. But who would we bring off? It's Tom Kearney, who I love, but Tom Kearney's on impact sub and it's Mbappe who actually had a shocker of a match. But mm. the fact that we don't really have any faith to bring on a proper winger to replace anyone or a striker or an attacking midfielder who has pace, it, 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 it's a joke. I mean, the Premier League you need a squad with depth, and we don't have that right now. And I'm honestly amazed we even came within getting a point of Arsenal, given how weak we are. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, how, how can you have? How can you give Marco Silva the lack of options here? We we can't chase the match realistically, and I think any anyone should be able to see that. And the fact that I don't know where Clivert is, I don't know where William is, it doesn't matter. I mean, we need we need players. In 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 not Tony Khan's defence, but obviously we have brought in two wingers. Uh, we have uh, a winger in Solomon that's got injured in a behind closed door friendly. Um, Wilson got injured again in a behind closed door friendly. So there is a little bit of misfortune there. It's a bit unlucky the fact two of our wingers have got injured. Um, but Frankie, can you see Sil- Silver walking if he's not get what he's what he wants? Um, I don't. No, and the reason I don't is I think he's got a lot of power at Fulham that he wouldn't have at other clubs. I think the Khans realise that they've struck gold in this one and they are willing to back him. It's just the timing has been very frustrating. As you say, he's unfortunate to have Solomon and Wilson injured and obviously Cabano last week. Like how often do you have three in- wingers injured at the same time? It's, it's heart, heart-wrenching really. Um, you wonder how many points we'd have had if we'd have a fully foot Harry Wilson at any point um, this season. Uh, I believe tran- transfers will get done. Um, I think we'll be busy. Tony Khan's always busy in this sort of period. I think he's just throwing, putting loads of, Irons in the fire. Um, yeah, it's, it's just annoying that it, it does seem like Marco Silva's repeating himself in his pre pre match conferences and post match conferences. Just like we don't have the we don't have the squad. We've got seventeen year old Luke Harris on the bench, nineteen year old Jay Stansfield as a makeshift winger at the moment. Um, but yeah, and all we can do is just see how the final week of the window goes. I mean, it's a few days left. Tony Khan's really got to start picking up that, <laughs> start picking up that phone. Um, Cause from an outside perspective, the, the news stories and rumors have been very quite quiet at the moment. I was um, expecting to wake up this morning to a, to a load of, a load of news and rumors, but may, maybe Monday. 
Yeah. Who knows? Um, but I don't see I don't see Marco Silva walking. I think he knows he's got something good at the core here. Um and I do believe he'll get what he wants by the end of the window. Um I think it's just one of one of those things. It's been an awful couple of weeks injury wise, which that hasn't helped at all. Yeah. I've actually heard a few people um not recently, but in the past, mentioned that the, the the transfer deadline day should be the day before the season starts. Now, yeah. I'm a huge fan of that, but a question that I've been asked to ask on today's pod by a friend uh, is, is it the director of football's uh, job to ensure the manager gets the majority of his signings before a ball is kicked for game one of the season? And why do we still find ourselves in this position season after season after season where no matter who's in charge, whether that's Slavisa Jakanovic, whether that's Marco Silva, Scott Parker, even Kit Simons, at, at, you know, <laughs> when he had his short stint, all complained about getting players in and getting them in at the right time. I understand the philosophy of it, the, the thought process, well, the later you leave it, the more chance you've got of saving money. Um, Max, I'll start with you. Uh, is it the, the director of football's job to ensure the manager gets the majority of his signings before a ball is kicked. Yes. Yes. It's it's so clear that when you get players in earlier in the season, you're going to have a better campaign. If, if you if you allow them time to gel, if you get them in preseason, ideally, and they get to know the squad, they're going to be a better player. I mean, you only have to look as far as Jao Polinia. And that was a superb piece of business. He came in what, you know, mid-July, early July, and look how well he's gelled with the team. If we sign someone, you know, in transfer deadline day, we can't expect them to come in and play like Polina has, you know, or Pereira right off the bat. They're going to take time to get used to the players, and it's going to be a learning curve. Without a doubt, and I think the director of football at Fulham, Tony Khan, he's the only director of football that I know of, and feel free to correct me if anyone thinks I'm wrong, who has, you know, two other full-time jobs. And, and it's unacceptable, and, I, and I've said this for such a long time. People can't treat Fulham as, as a side hustle. It, we don't deserve that. I mean, we're a full-time job. The supporters here, you know, don't, you know, we might have other teams we support, but Fulham's our main club. You know, this this is really so much of our life. And I do think it's disrespectful to treat Fulham like like just another gig, you know, and especially, and, and, I, and I know Tony Khan is very successful with wrestling, and I'm not begrudging that, but to see it so publicly, you know, on social media, which, which is a very important tool in modern-day football, whether people like it or not, to see it so prominently on his Twitter account, when we know the team is struggling because of the lack of signings, it does feel like a spit in the face of the fans. And I, I just don't know what the solution is because we've, we've hit breaking points, it seems, so many times. We had the 3-0 defeat to Villa when Scott Parker went out publicly and said, we're going to go down if we don't get signings. To be fair, we did get signings after that. We've had Slavisi Kanovic, you know, go publicly so many times saying, you know, this, this club is not run correctly. And as you correctly said, Alan, it's not a manager thing. You can't point it on oh, Silva's a prima donna, oh, oh, Parker just wants too much control. No, it's been a constant for the past six, seven years um, at Fulham Football Club. And when, when it's been a constant, you know who the issue is. Now, the only reason I think there's not a full fan base meltdown right now is because Marco Silva's done a superb job with the team and the players we have have played out of their skin. But once that stops, I think people will see that the squad we have if it stays up, it's a miracle at the moment. So I think it's clear we need investment. It's clear the director of football should be doing more. 
because again, it's late in the window, and again, we don't have the, the necessary pieces. Frankie, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything Max has just said. I mean, it's 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 twenty four seven hour seven twenty four seven. What am I trying yeah. to say? Yeah, twenty four yeah. hours it's a 20, seven day a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's yeah it's it's more than a full time job. It's a lifestyle. This kind of position, and it it I could get around to you not being at the training ground all the time. I can get around you being maybe based in Jacksonville, um, doing your AEW stuff on a on a Wednesday, um, and and as long as you're getting the job done. But I think from what we've seen, we've not. It seems like we don't have anyone at the training ground that's willing to to help at all. I mean, it's it's been an, nearly two years since Javier Pereira left that assistant um, head of football position, and that's never been replaced. Like no one is in that role now. It's now back to Tony Khan, Alistair McIntosh, whoever the scouts are and whoever's running all the computers looking for data. Um, and then Marco Silva's in the middle just waiting, <laughs> working on the training ground every every day. Um, I think the club needs to consider, seriously consider, someone being at the training ground to deal purely with squad building with with contracts to do that side of it they need to replace that Javier Pereira role I don't even care if Tony Khan is the he has to sign everything off because if someone's doing the the groundwork 24 7 he will have all the information he needs to make that decision in a five minute conversation in a 10 minute conversation by going yes the date is right the scouts love him Marcus Silva wants him he's going to fit into our team this way um, but no, that doesn't seem to want to happen. The club needs to consider it. And let's, let's also get a bit of a reality check here. We have seriously rich owners who have the money to go and get one of the best like talent identification guys in world football. There's only so many people that can offer a salary that we could in that sort of role. We see the finances every year. We see Alistair McIntosh getting a fat fat wage and a fat fat bonus on every year so we have the money to pay people to do these sort of jobs but we don't seem to want to do it and it is a mistake that we are having to learn year after year after year but you know if if it happens once or twice you can sort of put it down to a, a mistake but as it's happening every single season now it's it's becoming a serious issue it's like an ego thing when it comes to to Tony Khan. And I'm not, you know, being, I'm not trying to be too horrible to him because, you know, there, there's a part of me which thinks he does try his best, but his best isn't good enough. And I think now is the time where we can all see we have a, a proper manager in charge. You know, I've not felt like this about a manager since Slav came in and, you know, the first few months. That's a, that's a story for another pod. But, I think now is a time where Tony Khan has to go, right, I'm going to be fully committed or I'm going to step away. I have no problems with him not posting anything about Fulham on Twitter because he went through that phase of embarrassing himself as well as embarrassing the club. So I didn't, I don't have any huge problems with him sort of leaving Fulham out of his tweets. I actually prefer it that way. But that's one part of the, the process. The second part of the process is now to just relieve all of responsibilities um, to someone else, as you said, Frankie, someone we can pay someone good money 
to do a good job in terms of the transfers. We're in a prime location. We're in London, um, one of the most expensive cities in the world. Pay the money, run the club properly, and who knows what we can go on to achieve. You look at the size of Wolves, for example. You know They've been a, a proper Premier League club for the last five, six years now. They, and they're run properly. You can see they have an identity. Now is the first time in years where I feel like we have an identity. We have a manager that, that cares. We have a squad that cares. You've only got to look yeah. at Tim Ream, Ken, Imitrovic. Please, Tony Khan, if, if you're not going to give us 100%, give us nothing and let, let someone else give 100%. Um, that's my addition to, <laughs> to the question. Um, but look, it's been fantastic talking to you both today. Um, one thing I would like to say, Frankie, is our Arsenal preview is the highest hitting um, podcast so far. So we achieved that without Dan Crawford. Again, isn't here, but we'll let you off today, Dan. Um, <laughs> have a fantastic rest of the day, gentlemen. Um, and there'll be the Brighton preview up tomorrow. And come on, you guys. If any of you has anything else to add, please do it. Um, now's your chance. Joe, Max, I have one question for you, mate. Yep. One quick, one, one very quick question, because I know we're running out of time. Should Tim Ream be in the United States World Cup squad uh, this, with, this, without a say doubt. this summer, this winter? Without yeah. a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, listen, Tim Ream, I, I said so many times to start the season, if he's starting most of our matches, we'll go down. He has blown me away with how he's playing. I mean, you can make a case he's the better of our centre-back pairing right now in the mm-hmm. Premier League against the best attacks in the world. There's no doubt he should be in the squad. He should be on the plane to Qatar. Get him on the plane. Give him the captain's armband. Yeah, yeah, even better. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't think we can end it any other way. Just get him on the plane. Get Tim Ream on the plane and also give Mitrovic a new contract with an empty salary box, an empty year box, and just say, listen, write whatever you want. You're staying for life, Mitra. You're going nowhere. <laughs> right. Have a lovely rest of the day and um, I will catch up with you both soon. Cheers. Cheers, Adam. Thank you.